in just a moment, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. We'll read on through verse 7. And we'll start in verse 4 of Titus chapter 3. He said, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You may be seated. Tonight I'm going to preach a message called Heirs, and uh, I thought about this. I, I always thought, boy, wouldn't there be something if just somewhere down the line, one day you get this phone call, and you find out you're an heir, right? Now when we say that, what do we think? Go ahead, you can say it. We're allowed to say it, right? We think we're going to be an heir one day. I think I'm going to get this call. I'm someone whom I'm related to that knew the Queen of England and Somehow or another, I'm going to be related to them, and all of a sudden, I'm going to get this phone call and get all this wealth, right? When we think about being an heir, we think about that often, but when we think of that word, we anticipate some sort of inheritance to be received because of a relationship that we had to someone else. My uh, brother, I have uh, half-brothers and sisters is what we say, but um, my brother Frank, his father, uh, his uh, natural birth father passed away, called and said uh, that they've left him an inheritance, and it was for him to come to collect. And so he went down and drove several hours somewhere into southern Virginia, and they live up in Pennsylvania, and his birth daddy was living down there in Virginia. And so when he gets down there, he found out they left him to the title to a trailer that was not paid off. That was his inheritance. He said, no, thank you. <laughs> I'd rather not accept that inheritance. Why? Because he just he got a bill handed to him, didn't he? And, you know, sometimes we think, man, I'm the heir, I'm the inheritor of something, right? And so heir is defined as a person legally entitled to property or rank of another on the death of another person a lot of times. And, you know, Paul and God himself used a lot of legal terms in the scriptures to help describe some things. And the relationship that we have through our Savior Jesus Christ is an inheritance that we receive based upon our relationship with him. Now, that relationship has to be a relationship of salvation, and we have an inheritance to us. I was reading the other day, and I just, as I was putting this together, I started looking up names just to find out, you know, who are some of the wealthiest people, just like even here in the United States? How many of you have ever eaten a Mars candy bar? Anybody in here ever eaten a Mars candy bar? Or you see the Mars family, right? The Mars family wealth is $78 billion for candy. Isn't that crazy? So they're $78 billion. So the uh, uh, owner of Mars, he had three children, Jacqueline, John, and Forrest, and he left $78 billion to three kids. Whew. You say, give it to me. Let me show you what I'll do with it for a while, right? We all have plans for it, right? None of us is getting it, right? <laughs> so, and I, I thought about that. And then Forrest died, and he left a third to his, I think he had four kids. But they'll never want for anything. You think about that kind of money. I mean, what would you have a want for, you know? And you say, nothing. And then I thought, well, man, that's, that's a lot of money. $78 billion, that's a lot of money, isn't it? And how many of you know this name? How many of you know Jeff Bezos of Amazon? He is anticipated to be the first trillionaire in the United States. First trillionaire. And you think about it and you say, man, trillion dollars. Man, how would you like to be Jeff Bezos' son or daughter or whatever, family or relative member? You know what I mean? Trillion dollars. 
I mean, I can barely get my hands around $100, let alone a trillion, you know what I mean? I, I look at my bank account sometimes and say, man, there's 100 bucks there. That gets exciting sometimes. And, uh, and you think to yourself, you say, well, man, a trillion dollars. But you know, with the Mars family and with Bezos, let me share with you something. They have this money, and obviously in the Mars family case, they passed on their inheritance to their children, and then they passed that on to their children. Eventually, that's going to come to an end, isn't it? Because all that's here is going to burn up. It's going to go away. And so all that they've inherited, all that they own, all that they possess, it's going to come to an end at some point. You know, and you think anything that you would inherit, uh, you know, sometimes it's just going to come to an end, and it'll be over. You're going to give it to someone else or it'll be passed on to someone else. And, and you say, well, it's good, you know, that we live good and we have money. And yeah, all that's true. But as heirs of Christ, we receive an inheritance. And think about this. That's eternal. <laughs> it never ends. It never goes away. And everything that Bezos has and everything that the Mars family has will come to an end one day. But what Jesus has left us as heirs will never come to an end. And so as heirs of Christ, we received an inheritance of eternal life, and this is granted to us. And I began to look at this, and I thought about this. Here's words that's used to describe the inheritance that he's left to us. See, he did it through his kindness. He left us this. He did it not only through his kindness, but through his love, through his grace, through his mercy and favor that he shows to the people whom he's brought back to himself. God did this for us, and we're heirs of all of this. And so we become the beneficiaries of the finished work of Christ. And, and by our faith and trust in him, we're vindicated or we're declared innocent of our sin. How many of you remember the story of the rich young ruler when he runs up to Jesus? How many of you remember that story in the Bible in Matthew? I think it's 19. And uh, he comes in and, and, and in about verses 16 through 23. And he comes up and, and he says, you know, to Jesus, you know, what must I do? You know what I mean? He says, well, you know, you, have you kept it? He says, I've kept all the commandments. And you know what he said to him next? <laughs> He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do next. Go sell everything you have and give it away. The brakes went on, didn't they? Because all of a sudden, he recognized that he was a sinner, didn't he? And what happens is, is we're all sinners needing the salvation of Christ. And Christ said, look, you do have something that you're worshiping. <laughs> it's your possessions. When he realized how much he possessed, he didn't no longer really thought about the relationship with Jesus Christ because the possessions meant a lot to him, and he had much. And so what Jesus said to him, it was a test that showed him to be a sinner in need of salvation, wasn't it? And that's exactly what we saw from that illustration. And so tonight, I just want you to think about this. Do we really kind of got a handle on or understand the extent of our inheritance in Christ Jesus? Do you really kind of get a grasp on our inheritance in Christ Jesus? And so as an heir of Jesus Christ, we have confidence in him that once saved, we are saved for all eternity. So we have an eternal inheritance. And now why do we have that? Well, it's God's love that gave it to us. And it's God's mercy that gave it to us. And it's God, his grace, that gave us this inheritance. And so it's by his love, his mercy, and his grace that we have an inheritance. And it's just amazing to think about this. And so I want to talk about how God's love appeared. And you look at verse 4. And he says, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. So you go back and you say, well, what was he talking about? He was talking about speaking evil, being a brawler, being disobedient, being involved in diverse lusts, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But after that, 
But after all those nasty things about us, the kindness of God showed up. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, just because we look back and we say, well, we fit into that previous verse, don't we? We fit into those categories. We fit into that situation, and yet God still showed his kindness toward us. You know, some kids receive an inheritance, but they don't really deserve it. You're right? They don't really deserve it. And, and so, but they get this inheritance anyway. So we're told here by Paul, as he's writing to Titus, that even when we behaved in an ungodly way in our life, God showed his kindness and love to us. How many of you know the verse in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8? But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth means he showed or demonstrated his love toward us. While we were in the condition that we were in, while we were in our sin condition, he demonstrated his love, his mercy, his grace. He demonstrated that to us. You know, and the wonderful thing about it is, is God not only told us that Christ was coming, Christ came, didn't he? So he appeared before man already. And then the promise that we have is even though he that ascended, he's going to come back and get us one day. So we know for a fact that there is this thing called the rapture and he's going to come get us again, right? So all of those that are in the grave will uh, go first and then all of those that remain will be caught up in the air with him. And then we know that he's coming back to rule and reign on the earth again. He'll be visibly here in front of people again. And so we know this to be true. And so God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He appeared before us and he appeared to man. And so we know that Christ was here. And, and you go and you look in the book of Acts, and, and I share this all the time because if 500 witnesses saw something and they gave the same testimony and that went to court for any reason, what do you think the ruling would be if 500 people saw something? And they all gave the exact same testimony. Now, I've shared this before. My brother said when they go onto a scene uh, as a police officer, one of the things they do is they quickly separate the people, and one of the things they do is they run around and everybody gets interviewed that was there. And then what are they looking for once they interviewed all those people? What are the matching what? Stories. And we have a scene of over 500 people. They witnessed Christ. And so I'm sharing with you, when you think about that, what God's telling us is, is that not only did he appear, we have proof that he appeared. We have that proof. We have the scriptures. And so when you think about this, we were undeserving. Absolutely we were. Yet the Lord had a fondness of mankind that he created, and he desired a personal relationship and desired to be personally involved in our lives. And any of you that are here that are saved, God desires to be involved in your life. And so many are familiar with this verse found in John 3, 16. How many of you know that verse? If I just start to say it, right? We all know it. Hey, it's at every football game. All you got to do is look in the end zone. About 90% of the time, there's someone holding up a sign that says, John what? 316, they'll hold the sign up. I mean, you could say that to almost any atheist, and they'll know, that, they'll, they'll know the verse. And, and the thing of it is, is that it's so well known, but here's the idea about it. When we think about it, the love of God, our Savior, appeared unto us as Jesus Christ, the Savior. He came down the man, and it says, and God so loved the world that he gave, didn't he? And what did he give? He gave his son. His son appeared before man already. And so he's come down to us, and so his love, his kindness is demonstrated to us. So we continue to see, and man continues to benefit from the love of God brought down to man. So the kindness is the goodness, the gentleness of God, and he demonstrates it to us in so many ways beyond our salvation. Let me give you a couple of verses. You can write these down. You don't have to turn to them. But Psalm 34, 8. I like things like this. It's interesting to me, the way God wrote things at times. But he said in Psalm 34, 8, he said, Oh, taste. 
Do you ever think about words you read in the scriptures? You read that in the Bible and you think, taste what? He said, oh, taste and see. You know what I mean? I, I, how many of you go to a restaurant and they bring out a nice looking plate, right? And you're thinking, man, I can't wait to do what? Taste that. And boy, you can see it. You can't wait to dive into whatever's sitting in front of you, right? And I look at this and he says, now listen to this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's interesting, isn't it? How are we going to taste that God's good? How are we going to do that? Well, he's given so much of himself. He's around us all the time. He's demonstrated to us always and in all ways that he's there, that he is to be able to be seen and we can almost take in. If you think about it, to taste something is to take it in, isn't it? It's to put it in your mouth. To taste something is to take it in, isn't it? And so when he says, oh, taste, he's saying, take this in for a minute and see, watch, look, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. <laughs> Amen? So to taste is to really take it in, isn't it? And then you look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. He said, but God, listen to this, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, right? And he says, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, it's amazing the inheritance that we have. When you look at that verse in verse 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs. Well, one of the things is, is God has made us heirs, and one of the things that he's told us is, look, you have evidence that you're my child, and you have evidence that I am the king, that I have the inheritance, and I've given it unto you. I've appeared before man, and I am continually to show and to demonstrate myself. So God's love and his fondness for man is what brought the appearing of Christ to us. Appeared is that idea that to shine upon or become visible before man. In John 3.13 and John 6.38, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Listen, God said he sent his only begotten Son, didn't he? He brought him down to man. Man observed Jesus Christ on this earth. He's appeared before man. He went on to say in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And so he came down to fulfill something. And as the uh, Son of Man, he became the heir uh, unto the throne, and we have become heirs with him. So God appeared unto us in a visible form, and that was through his Son, Jesus Christ. In John 14, 9, he said, Jesus said this to Philip. He said, He that hath seen me has seen the what? You've seen the Father. He that hath seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? <laughs> you see, when we look to the Scriptures and we read them, we're picking up the Word of God. I want you to understand, we see God. We see Jesus Christ, don't we? When you pick up the Bible, it's not a dead book. It's the living Word of God. And so when we pick this book up as heirs, He's given us something. And the wonderful part of our inheritance is that we have it for all eternity. Listen, it's not going to go away. I, I'm saddened at heart for people who believe that you can lose your salvation. So sometimes I share with people, listen, you're either saved or you're unsaved. If you believe that you lose your salvation, did you get saved? That's the only question I have. I'm not trying to be unkind, but once saved, always saved, isn't it? Once you know Jesus Christ, it doesn't come undone. And, and, and if it were so, then that would all be in our hands, wouldn't it? We would be in control of all of that. 
So he himself appeared, and the testimony of Christ himself who appeared before all fulfilled his role to give us the inheritance. What did he die? He died once for all. Isn't that what the scriptures teach? And so we have that now. Now recall that an heir is defined as a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another at that person's death. And so let me give you this verse and think about this a moment. Write this down. You say, how do you, how do you know we're heirs? How do you know that we're heirs? Well, he said it here in, in uh, Titus, but listen to this. In Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs. <laughs> and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we might be also glorified together. We're heirs. Join heirs with Christ. Hey, listen, the reason the Mars family gave that money to those three kids, they were the children of the heir, weren't they? And you look at this and you see this, and then, so what did Forrest do? Forrest Mars then passed it on to his kids. Why? Because it was his children. They were the heirs, were they not? And I'm trying to help you understand this thought in that we are the children of God. Therefore, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, are we not? And so we have what he possesses, and so he gives it unto us. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ hath appeared. He says, our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ uh, our Savior. The second thought is this. Through the compassion and forgiveness of Christ, we have our salvation. So his mercy is what saved us. It's very clear in the scriptures. You ought to underline this in your Bible. His mercy, through, uh, according to his mercy, he saved us. That's how he saved us, by his mercy. And, and when I look to the scriptures, these are the verses that clearly demonstrate that our works or our deeds cannot provide us favor with God, nor does it provide salvation. His mercy is what provides salvation. That's why I share with people, when you think that your good works are going to get you to heaven, you read the scriptures and it just goes contrary to that every time. And so we look at this, and his mercy is what provides salvation. Therefore, by faith, you trust Christ alone for salvation. And it's not something that comes undone. It doesn't come undone. You are either saved or you are not saved, right? It can't be undone. I can't be partially saved or I'm almost there. I'm partway there. I'm either saved or I'm not. And so what Jesus tells us is that he gives something to us abundantly. He gives us his mercy and salvation is an eternal act. If it's not an eternal act, then why did Jesus have to die? And so it's an eternal act of God. And so here's the thing. When those heirs receive those monies from the Mars or Bezos gives his money to somebody and they receive it, it becomes theirs, doesn't it? Now what they choose to do with it next is entirely up to them. So as a child of God, as an heir of God, he's given us a salvation. And he says, now with so great a salvation, what are we going to do with it? What do we do with so great a salvation? With this eternal gift, this eternal inheritance that he's given unto you and to me, what are we doing with it now? You see, the Mars family could just keep it all for themselves or they could do for others, right? And, and they could reach out to others. And God has given us this inheritance that we might share it with other people. And God wants us to share it with others. Salvation is an eternal act of God on the soul of man. And it's not uh, able to become undone or the work of God meant nothing once he was on the cross there at Calvary. Now, I thought about it. If a man is capable of undoing what God has done, then it just really puts everything in back into our hands, doesn't it? It leaves an eternal God out of the picture. And by his mercy, according to the, his mercy, he saved us. This is how he did it. 
This is how he chose to do it. When I was looking this up, I began to think about how Paul, who was a Pharisee, he told Titus, and he told us clearly, not by works or deeds of righteousness or our character or actions, which we've done, we cannot save ourselves. It's not the things that we do, it's what Christ has done. And folks, listen to me. I'm sharing with you. I knock on a lot of doors. I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus Christ. And there are so many people that believe their good acts or their good actions are the difference between entering into heaven or not getting there. And they really believe that. And if you knock on doors and you talk to people, and even with my own family, folks, listen, they say, well, I haven't killed anybody. Neither have I. Now, I ran over a cat one time, which I don't believe that's killing. That's just getting rid of pests, right? And, uh, ooh, cat lovers, right? And, uh, but here's the thing. I haven't killed anybody. But am I getting into heaven because I haven't killed anybody? You see, we've got to be able to step up to the plate at that moment. Are you with me? We have to be able to step up to the plate. We have to be able to say, no, it's not about that. It's not your works. It's not your deeds. It's not your righteousness. It's not your character. It's not your actions. That's not what saves you. What saves you is your relationship with Jesus Christ. The kindness and love of God did not appear because of what we've done, but according to his mercy, his divine compassion is really what he says. It's what saves us. And so when we look at this in Ephesians 2, 4, by God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Listen, man doesn't love God. <laughs> he loved us. He showed his mercy to us. That's why we can love him. And when you think about this through salvation, a process is started in the soul of man. And it's by the washing and the baptism and the regeneration of that spiritual restoration or that renewing, that re renovation that we talked about of the Holy Ghost. When you get saved, believe me, when you get saved, you know it. You know it. If you're saved. And when you get saved, something starts to happen inside of us. There is a work that begins, and God said, uh, that which I've begun in you, I will perform it until the day of his coming. He is going to continue that work inside of you. It's not going to stop. And when I see people say, well, I'm saved, but I'm just going to live for myself for a while. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. You're either saved or you're not. And a saved person has a desire toward the heavenly things. They have a desire to serve God. They have a desire to walk with God. They have a desire to please God, not themselves. And a person that says that I'm saved, but I'm in it for myself now, I'm going to serve myself, I'm going to make sure that I get something out of this for myself, that this life is about me and, and it's what I want and what I desire and what I want to have and what I want to possess and what I want to be and it's really about me. I struggle with that person. Would you agree? Now, I'm not the judge, but I sure do struggle with that person because that's the opposite of what God would desire of us. Would you agree with that? God wants us to have a submissive heart and a desire to please Him and to please others. So when I say please others, not just in pleasing them, but in the sense of reaching them with the gospel, showing them what God's Word says. Salvation is so wonderful that our Savior, once He saved us, He does not want us to leave Him, and He doesn't leave us. If you're saved, the Holy Ghost is where? Where's the Holy Ghost? <laughs> He's in us. He doesn't... Take a vacation. 
He doesn't take off for a time. He doesn't leave you and hold out for a while. The Holy Spirit's with you. And by the way, if you're saved, conviction comes to our lives. Would you agree? When sin enters in, conviction comes. <laughs> we are convicted over the sins that are in our lives, and we have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And listen, Jesus said, I do always those things which please the Father. And if that were true, and God gave us Himself, and the Holy Spirit reside in us, what should be the desire of our heart to please the Heavenly Father? To please God. And so, by His mercy, He saved us. This is the mercy of God still being displayed in our life which he shed on us, and think about this, which he shed on us abundantly to pour out on us generously. Today I went back, Kathy, and I, I saw Michael at the end of the service. Looks like somebody poured something on him pretty generously today. <laughs> and so he was soaking wet. He says, I got to get in my car. I said, yeah. So they had a balloon, was it a balloon? What was it? Balloon fight today. And Michael was soaked from head to toe, you know. And it, he says, what am I going to do? I said, well, we went back and we took some of your plastic bags I'm sorry. Took two of them, put them on his seat so he didn't get them soaking wet when he went home. But he was generously soaked. Right? And so when you look at this and God talks about mercy, do you get the idea? We'd be soaked with it. When you look to the scriptures, he said, pour it out on us generously. What is he pouring out on us generously? His mercy. Well, you know, I think one more thing when I read this, though. I read this and I said over and over again, uh, according to his mercy he saved us, which he shed on us abundantly, and by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly. He gave us everything we need, didn't he? And so by his mercy he saved us, and the heirs of Christ were given a permanent gift, the gift of salvation, and through the mercy of God we're given the Holy Ghost, which performs a work in us. And listen, you've heard me say this before, I believe it with all of my heart, that if there is a fire in the fireplace, there'll be some smoke in the chimney. If there's no fire in the fireplace, there's probably not anything coming out of the chimney. Would you agree? One of the things I used to do is when I'd walk up to the house when we lived over here in Bremen, Brother Mike, is I'd look and I'd say, I'd ask Connor and Mike, hey, would you start a fire? Uh, it's going to be cold, and I wanted the fire started before I got home because I wanted the house warm, amen? And when I'd get over, Mike, you know what I'd do as I'm driving up? You know what I was looking at to see if something was happening? What was I looking at? I wasn't just looking into the sky. I was looking at my chimney, wasn't I? Do you know why? I wanted to see if there was any smoke coming out of that chimney. I wanted to see if anything was coming out of there. Because I'd ask them boys to start a fire. Well, when I would drive up to the house and I'd realize there's no smoke coming out of the chimney, guess what I realized? There's no fire in the fireplace. And believe me, folks, as a saved individual, if there's a fire in your heart for God, there'll be some smoke in your life that can be seen. And believe me, James clearly teaches us that. And there ought to be something that we demonstrate that we have Christ in us. Because the Bible said he performs a work in us till he come. He's going to keep on doing it. It's going to keep on happening. So the work of the Spirit of the Lord is the mercy of of God, and this is the part of our inheritance. I believe when he says he gives us this inheritance, what did he give us? Well, he gave us eternal life. He gives us his mercy. He gives us the Holy Ghost. He gives us these things. This is part of our inheritance. This is what we have, so we're able to live for God. And I love this because, man, when I get an inheritance, it says this, and he shed it on us abundantly. 
Now, when you get an inheritance, how would you like to say, listen, we're going to shed it on you abundantly, and what are we thinking all the time? Thinking cash money, boy, I'd like to have a lot of that. We'd like to have that shed on us abundantly, but here's what he said, his mercy, the Holy Spirit, the things that are necessary is what he shed on us abundantly. Now, God's favor to man through salvation declares us innocent. Boy, what an inheritance. He said in verse 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That word hope is such a beautiful word in the Bible because it's not standing there wringing your hands and hoping this thing's going to work out or, man, I sure, whew, man, I hope that, no. This is confidence. Confidence of eternal life. And the thing about it is, the grace of God declares us innocent. When he uses the word being justified, and I told you there's a lot of legal terms in the scriptures, but he, when he says being justified, he's saying we're declared innocent. We're declared innocent of our sin, and through our declaration of innocence, we are given an inheritance of eternal life as children of God. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled all the law, and in so doing, all that believe in him are justified, we're vindicated, we're declared innocent by his grace. This is God showing his kindness and favor to us again. Let me give you this verse in Acts 13, 39. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things. All that believe are justified by, uh, 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 it says justified uh, from all things. In other words, there's nothing held over my head. It's gone. When I was in Colonial Beach, I uh, had a young man, his name was Aubrey, and Aubrey and his wife, Misty, they got saved, and they started coming to church. And uh, Aubrey and Misty got into a fight at home, and Aubrey got himself in trouble, and some other things were hanging over his head, looming over his head. And uh, I, I used to go to court a lot when I was in Colonial Beach. Never for myself, Miss Kathy, did I go to court. <laughs> I didn't. But I went to court a lot when I was in Colonial Beach. And you know that you're in court a lot when I walk in, Brother Mike, and a judge this morning says, Hey, Pastor Warnick, how are you doing? Who are you here for this morning? <laughs> and I remember going in there, and I'd written a letter on Aubrey's behalf. And I said, Look, he's gotten saved, and I told him about it, and I told him that he and his wife are going to start coming to these classes, and I'm going to, I'm going to start discipling them and help them and everything. And I'll never forget this. That judge had Aubrey standing there, and by the way, he was in shackles. He was just standing there. I'm standing beside the poor guy. And he was a nice guy. I mean, if you met him, you wouldn't think any of this stuff. And he's standing there in shackles. And while he's standing there, the judge looked down to him, Brother James, and he said this. He said, hey, Aubrey. He said, you see that man standing beside you? He's in the mercy business. I'm not. He said, I want you to look at my fingers. He said, how much space do you see between there? And Aubrey said, none. He said, I can't hear you, son. How much space do you see between my fingers? He said, none. He said, that's how much mercy I want to show you. He said, now, Pastor Warnick has written a letter on your behalf. We're going to let you go home. We're going to put an anklet on you, but you're going to meet with him. And he said, because that man has mercy, he's going to show it to you, so I'm going to show you a little bit of mercy, too. Here's the thing. Jesus stepped way outside for us, didn't he? All I did was write a letter. What did Christ do for me that showed me the mercy? He showed it abundantly, didn't he? 
That day, Aubrey walked out of that courtroom free enough to be able to at least be at home, you know what I mean? And instead of coming to a class, think about this now, he cut the anklet off and took off. He said, if you do that, if you don't get things right, he had seven years hanging over his head. And the judge let him walk out of the courtroom with me. Now I want to tell you something. That was mercy. And what does a fool do? Walks away from it, doesn't he? Now here's what I'm sharing with you. How many of us has God shown mercy to and we've walked away from him? We've walked away from him. We cut the anklet off, didn't we? We don't want to be housed like that. We don't want to have that kind of control in our life. When I look at this and I see this, the kindness of God, and by Him, all that believe are justified from all things from which He could not be justified by the law of Moses. In other words, everything that Moses had done, it wasn't going to free them up. Listen, it wasn't the letter. It wasn't that. It was that day God was showing His mercy to Aubrey, and He used the judge to do it, and the man said, I don't want it. And he cut the anklet off and took off. By the way, I went back to Virginia. <laughs> and I was at the Walmart in Virginia, and this man in the parking lot yelled at me. And he screamed. He said, Pastor Warnick. I turned around, and I thought, good night. Who's that? He's a little heavier these days, but he come running over. It was Aubrey. He said, yeah, I finally got out. I did four. They let me go. <laughs> And he said, I'm getting my life right with God now. I said, where are you going to church? Well, I'm looking for some place. Is he getting his life right with God? Probably not. You see, God shows his mercy in so many wonderful ways, doesn't he? Now, here's what I want to challenge you with. Our hope and our confidence is not in us, but what has made us heirs, the possessor, the owner of this. According to him, we should have confidence in our eternal life. In Romans 6.23, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life, isn't it? through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me challenge you with this thought. Our innocence does not come by way of what we've done, but it's the grace of God. Our innocence doesn't come by what we've done. It's by the grace of God. So God's favor through salvation declares us innocent of all sin. And I just want to give you a few verses, and I'll end with this, and we'll pray. Because I know you're distracted by what you hear outside right now. Right? Overly distracting, isn't it? <laughs> So God's favored man through salvation declares us innocent of all sin. In Hebrews 3, 6, and in 14, and in 10, 35. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? Wow, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? He said, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing and the hope firm unto the end, for we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. He said in 10, 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which have great recompense of reward, we ought to have a strong confidence in who Christ is. A strong confidence in who He is. It says here that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In 1 John 2, 28, and He says, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence. <laughs> we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Justification comes with confidence. You see, I'm declared innocent because of Him not because of my works, and I possess this inheritance, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done for me. And so I challenge you to understand the eternal inheritance. Listen, money 
is going to fade off the scene one day, isn't it? It's all going to burn up. And we say, well, give it to me for a while. Let me see how I handle it. Most of us can't handle money. I promise you that. If you have not lived with it, the majority of the time, you cannot handle it. <laughs> and the thing of it is, is that we all think that the answer to our problems is what? Money, don't we? You know what a real answer to your problems are? Jesus Christ 